This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Wealth Track webcast. I'm Consuelo Mack. Our topic is creative destruction, disruptions in the global market, which just happened to be the title of a panel I recently moderated at a thoughtful and thought-provoking global research summit hosted by Thornburg Investment Management out in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thornburg is headquartered in Santa Fe for a reason, to get away from the Wall Street herd and the distracting noise of the markets. And it works, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it is an oasis of calm. One of the panelists joins us today. He is Connor Brown, a portfolio manager at Thornburg, who has run their Thornburg Value Fund since 2006 and also manages their much smaller and newer Thornburg Long Short Equity Fund. So, Connor, welcome to our Wealth Track podcast. Hey, th- thanks for having me, Consuelo. So, Connor, what I learned on the panel is that you have owned two of the biggest disruptors on the planet since their IPOs, Google and Facebook. So, I want you to take us through your thought process from the beginning. First of all, why did you invest in Google, which went public in 2004? Doing the work ahead of the IPO um, gave us great insight into the growth of this emerging digital advertising market. We'd actually done work at Thornburg ahead of the Google IPO on um, other search-based, auction-based advertising models. And um, what was really exciting to us was the idea that Google knows what it is you're interested in right as you're interested. You're, you're, you're in, through your Google search, you're announcing to Google what it is that you're, you're most interested in the world in that very moment. And sometimes if it's Abraham Lincoln, you know, there may not be an advertising angle to that. Um, but if it's a car or a house or something else, insurance, um, th- that's a great venue for an advertiser to get their information in front of the user. So really powerful moment in time that Google captures through their search function. And that was a strategy of theirs from the beginning? I think originally it was to um, make all of the the World Wide Web um, available to users in a way that made sense. And, and for them, it was the, the, the original page rank. So um, how often links were referring to other links is how uh, Google and its organic search results um, uh, was ordering uh, uh, the search results. And then pairing advertising alongside with it in a way that was beneficial not just for the advertiser but actually added value to the user was something that um, they developed and that they've been really, really good at over the years. What was the technology that they were employing uh, to have this you know, search-based site, and, uh, and, and how important is that technology? So, you know, these days, um, Google's way, way, way smarter than it was back in 2004, that's for sure. Um, Google knows much more about um, the users uh, that are using the site and um, uh, has, has collected so, so much data uh, over the decade plus uh, that it's been running that 
um, it, it does a much better job than it did originally at serving up search results that are useful um, to the user, not to mention all the other businesses that they're in. Originally, though, it, it was, as I mentioned, that, that page rank, that idea that sort of like research, academic research papers that reference other academic research papers. If, if your academic research paper is being referred to in the bibliographies of many other research papers, well, it's probably important. It was that simple idea applying that to the web that gave them the best search results up, up at the beginning. Now, do you think it's going to retain its dominance? Is is there uh, are there any, you know, real competitors or challengers on the horizon to Google? We we do think it's going to going to maintain its competitive um position in many of these markets and, and I think we'll talk about some other uh, digital marketplaces. In many of these markets it seems like a winner take most environment. Um there are network effects um, to having the users, to having um, the advertisers on the website. Um, now, with the advent of machine learning and artificial intelligence, having and seeing all the data and understanding what uh, people are interested in better because you have the data and you can work with the data um, gives you a further advantage. What gets confusing or, or um, perhaps less easy to predict is as these large uh, internet behemoths start running into each other in more and more marketplaces, as uh, Google's YouTube grows as a streaming television venue and runs into Netflix and Amazon Prime, as perhaps as we start searching in different ways, as we search uh, using our voice, um, Amazon Echo and their work uh, introduced it as a competitive threat to, to Google search in the future. So we think in search, their position's really strong. And then as as technology changes, that question is always, will they be able to adapt their business in a way that will keep their or maintain their competitive advantage? And so far, your answer is affirmative, right, with qualifications as to what the other kind of tech behemoths do. Yeah, and one other thing I'd add there is just that, um, you know, these companies really grew up in an age of disruption. If you think about Google or Facebook or Amazon, you know, Google was a desktop um, search function in web browsers. Um, as uh, browsing has moved to mobile, that was a big jump. Um, Google had to develop its own browser, Chrome. Google uh, even uh, uh, acquired and has continued to uh, invest in a mobile operating system, Android, in part to uh, help them maintain their position in search. Um, and this has happened with, with many of their other large Silicon Valley competitors where the management teams have grown up in an era of change and they know that if they're not pushing the envelope really hard on what's next, they're going to be left behind. So um, that's not to say they won't be leapfrogged by um, some new technology in the future, but it does position the companies better, we think, um, to deal with to deal with change. Let's move on to Facebook, which went public in 2012. What drew you to Facebook in the beginning? Yeah, so the, the idea, uh, once again, a, a winner-take-most take market, we thought, in terms of a, a social network. I remember uh, meeting with the management team, flew out to Kansas City, actually, to meet with Sheryl uh, Sandberg, and they're then uh, head of product, ahead of the IPO, and thinking about and understanding the opportunity for what you could do as you um, tied all of these networks of people together um, was really exciting. Um, I will admit, uh, we invest briefly at time of IPO, uh, but then sat on the sidelines for some time. If you remember, Facebook, uh, at time of its IPO, had no way to generate revenue 
on mobile phones. And it was clear even then that usage of Facebook, Facebook excuse me, was going to move from desktop computers uh, to smartphones. Um, so, so we then waited for them to start to show proof of concept around monetization uh, of their uh, mobile uh, newsfeed. Um, and once, once we had that, we, we as an organization at Thornburg ha have gotten back involved in Facebook. And as far as its dominance in social networking, what, what is your assessment of their position? Good. Um, we will admit it's something we worry about at Facebook. Um, specifically, a little bit usage uh, metrics have, have weakened on uh, Facebook proper uh, in the last couple of quarters. We measure that in terms of how many of their monthly active users are also daily active users. For, further to that, the announcements that Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg have made about improving the quality of the engagement of the user with Facebook make us worry that Maybe some of that addictive clickbait that that uh, that people I will admit to spending some time being sucked into. Maybe that is a great engagement tool, but it's something they may back away from a little bit. So um, we may be in an era of a little bit less usage on the Facebook app. That said, Facebook um, did a great job, especially in the case of Instagram, of acquiring a potential competitor very early in its development and helping to foster the growth uh, uh, there. So Instagram, we think, remains a really strong brand for Facebook. So strong it seems that as a newer challenger uh, has grown Snapchat, Instagram has been able to copy a number of um, Snapchat's features and actually grow usage and Snapchat-like features on Instagram even faster than Snap has been able to on their own app. So they, they may be at a scale in social networking that uh, locks out other competitors uh, better today even than when Instagram was a competitor to Facebook. One of the things that you mentioned was uh, the ability and making that transition to going mobile. And, um, you know, looking back, I mean, Steve Jobs uh, introduced the iPhone, which was the game changer uh, in 2007. And uh, it really, you know, changed our lives. We talked about it at Thornburg's conference and, you know, the fact that, that we are now kind of everything we do, transacting business, personal communications, um, is all centered around, you know, our mobile phones, our smartphones. And uh, you also mentioned artificial intelligence, and uh, which some, some are talking about as being the next best thing. Um, certainly, you know, Facebook and Google, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, they're all involved in artificial intelligence. It, 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 is that the next best thing, the, the software that basically is, has been developed to try to simulate uh, human intelligence? Yeah, I, we, we, we here at Thornburg believe that artificial intelligence is going to be really important. Um, I'll caveat that, caveat that, though. It is such a broad term, the term artificial intelligence. And I've, I've done visits of companies, private companies that are working on what they call artificial intelligence that, that is as simple as a, a diagram as a chatbot, if 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 the the human being on the other side says this, I say this. If the human being says this, I say this. It was, you know, in some cases, what companies call artificial intelligence seems like some of the dumbest artificial intelligence that you'll ever run into. <laughs> on the other hand, there there are incredible developments happening. Um, we follow a lot the work that um, Google is doing in machine learning and artificial intelligence. They've really made that a focus for the business um, over these last couple of years. Um, a couple of years ago, the focus, as you mentioned, was the move to smartphones and mobile. Now the focus for Google management at all levels throughout the organization is machine learning and how to use that in their business. 
Google acquired a company called DeepMind um, that's done just this awesome work on this ancient um, Chinese board game called Go. You know, if you go if you go to their website, they've got some fascinating videos talking about the developments they've done there. Um, Go was much harder for computers uh, to figure out than chess. There are many, many more possible moves on a on a Go board uh, than there than there are in chess. It took us longer, but by 2016, we had computers beating the best uh, Go players in the entire world. Uh, even more recently, their their most recent version um, let let the computers figure out how to play on their own. It, 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 the, the program, the algorithm explained the rules of the game, but that was it, and uh, let them go. And computers were learning the very best strategies that humans use within, within 30 days or so of, of starting to play each other. You know, these are strategies that it's taken humans thousands of years, in the case of Go, to come up with. Um, and then between day 30 and day 40 of letting the program run, computers were coming up with all new strategies that humans had never imagined that are better, that are winning. Um, it, it's fascinating to watch how uh, machine learning and artificial in intelligence can be applied to games like Go, but then um, as you think about applying it to search or to recommending things for you to watch on YouTube or even to saving money in a data center at Google, which use tremendous amounts of power, um, there's all kinds of exciting applications that Google and many others will be using machine learning and artificial intelligence for in the future. It's exciting. It's also scary, but that's an entire other conversation. But it, as as far as uh, you know, the artificial intelligence is concerned, one of the things that you and I had also talked about is, and one of the statements that you made was, it's it's uh, you know, it's difficult to invest in technology per se. It's it's challenging, and I mean, you know, I'm thinking to myself, listening to what you're telling us is gee, you know, how do I go directly to invest in artificial intelligence and this machine learning? And, I mean, are there pure plays or is it is it too early yet? Way too early from a pure play perspective. All of the large U.S. Silicon Valley companies and, and the leading Chinese Internet companies, too, are doing great work on artificial intelligence and machine learning, and, and that will show up in the products that they're offering customers uh, in the coming years. So it, it might be better, actually, if you want to participate in it, to uh, to invest in the companies that are making it a, a artificial intelligence, for instance, and this machine learning a, a, a core part of their strategy. That it, maybe that's the way to at least be able to participate in it. Is is that a, a fair question? But yeah, absolutely. But you've got to be careful because there are pretenders out there. A colleague on the panel mentioned Greg Dunn, who runs our growth products. He mentioned that. Um, every uh, information technology company management presentation you go to these days, doesn't matter what the company does, they'll spend uh, a good piece of their presentation on how they're using artificial intelligence and machine learning to, to improve their product. And some of that's true, and uh, some of it's just that's what every information technology company management team has to stay, say today to sound like they're still in the game. Right, it's just like the dot, adding dot com to your your company's name uh, in the '90s or blockchain these days. That seems to get a, a really nice pop in a stock market price if you announce a new uh, uh, Bitcoin or blockchain related uh, uh, endeavor. <laughs> um, let me ask you a couple more questions, um, and and that is uh, as far as the other companies that you and I just mentioned peripherally but uh and I and I don't know if they're in your port your portfolios in particular but what's what's your view on 
Amazon. Do you own Amazon in your portfolios? I know it certainly is in is in other Thornburg portfolios. Yeah. Um, so we, I'll, I'll, there are two sides to this. On the one hand, I think there are many traditional value investors who look at really large PE multiples alone at a company like Amazon or a company like Facebook or, or Google even um, and say, this is just uninvestable. This is so expensive. Um, we, we think that's the wrong answer. Um, we think you need to be pretty thoughtful about um, how you go about valuing companies that are growing as fast as these businesses are. Um, that said, in, in my portfolios, um, I, I tend not to hold the fastest growing, most expensive things. Um, so we had held Amazon. We had held Netflix until recently um, uh, in uh, my large domestic strategy. And uh, we have sold both of those um, over the last year or so. Uh, as they've reached price targets on our valuation approach there. Um, that said, um, our, our gross, manager, uh, uh, gross managers uh, continue to hold those names. Uh, they look for uh, great companies at good prices. Uh, and the strategies that I run, we're, we're looking for um, good companies at great prices. So it, it can be actually consistent within a shop for us to own it in some places, uh, but not own it in others. We still like these days uh, Google and Facebook. Uh, in both cases, uh, we pull out uh, some of the parts valuation for pieces of the business that today aren't earning money. And when you do that, uh, the base Google business or the base Facebook business um, actually look really cheap on a PE basis. We get to just between 10 and 15 times PEs for both of those. Once we pull out pieces of the business that are faster growing that we believe have positive value, but that might be generating negative earnings today. And what about Apple uh, and what about Microsoft? Yeah, we've so I, I uh, we've we've looked uh, at the firm a number of times at Microsoft, but it's not one that we've uh, been invested in for this run as they've transitioned from uh, and, and done a really effective job of transitioning from a um, a uh, uh, into a cloud company. So uh, changing their their dominant products, uh, uh, transitioning them to a cloud and subscription based offerings. Um, they've really done a good job of that and a better job than uh, we would have expected every time we've uh, dug in and looked at the company over the last few years. In the case of Apple, we do own it in some strategies. We, I, I, I keep a, actually keep a Motorola Razor and a BlackBerry uh, here at my desk as a, as a reminder of the risks of being a uh, an outdated uh, uh, handset manufacturer. On the one hand, on the other hand, um, um, Apple's operating system, uh, their growing services business lends itself to almost a subscription-like model if they're able to maintain dominant market share like they have been, in part because of the software and the connectivity that the devices are offering that could, in fact, be a more sustainable business. So lots of debate about Apple here at Thornburg, that's for sure. Final question, uh, the risks to the two companies that you do own and that you're positive on at one point, both for evaluation and, a, and a, their future, and that's Facebook and Google, uh, they're, as they become more dominant, they get more regulatory scrutiny. W what do you see as the, the biggest risks to Facebook and Google at, Google at this point? I was looking at, we, we were reviewing um, just, the, just the other day, um, some of the global um, advertising uh, numbers, so advertising market numbers, and it's pretty unbelievable. Internet advertising today isn't quite half uh, but it is bigger than TV advertising spend globally today. Uh, of of internet advertising, uh, Google Google alone, their advertising revenue line is is about half of total internet advertising globally, um, wow. which is 
pretty unbelievable. Um, I've always thought that there'd be a bit more room to grow than you might think as, as Google and Facebook get really big as a part of overall advertising because so much of what's spent uh, on on their platforms is is based on a return on investment calculation done by the advertiser. And as long as those return on investment calculations uh, remain good, i.e. you get a high ROI for advertising on Google and Facebook, you know, you may be able to cur you know, influence the trend line for all of global advertising. Maybe companies should be spending more than they thought on their total advertising budget um, and, and get that to grow a little bit. So we think there's room, even though they've got dominant market share. Um, you bring up great points about regulation that's hitting first in Europe. Um, there's lots of talk about that in the U.S. Um, it's something we worry about. It's something we discount as a, a bad possibility, so it would pull something off of our price target. But we also think it's going to be tough for the regulators to keep up with these these companies, actually. Um, there's new regulation in Europe uh, related to personally identifiable information. But as long as you've logged in and you've uh, checked OK to a user agreement, in the case of Google and Facebook, um, it seems like already they may have gotten around most of that regulation. Connor, it's a treat to have you and talk to you again. Uh, I had a great time in Santa Fe at Thornburg's headquarters, uh, and I look forward to talking to you in the future as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Consuela. You've been listening to Connor Brown, the Portfolio Manager for Thornburg Value Fund, on this WealthTrack webcast. And incidentally, if you're interested in more information about disruptive technologies, not too long ago we had legendary value investor Bill Miller talking about Bitcoin and why he was an early investor uh, in that technology. And that's available on the WealthTrack YouTube channel. And we're also building a disruptive technology playlist on WealthTrack's YouTube channel, featuring several prominent guests on cryptocurrencies and blockchain specifically. So I hope you can check them out.